Welcome to episode seven, lucky episode number seven. You know what they say in podcasting land, episode seven, it's kind of holds a, a special significance. So welcome to episode seven of Fringe with Benefits. I'm your legendary live wire host, Stacy, the Queen Severus, Stasimus, the Golden Valkyrie. I'm excited to be coming to you straight from election year quarantine. I come to you to scramble your brain on all things anomalous, peculiar, weird, and abnormal. So some of you come to visit me because you're a big fan of Naked and Afraid. And so I heard through the grapevine that Discovery Channel is gearing up for more Naked and Afraid and Naked and Afraid XL challenges. I can't say if I'll be joining this year's survivalists, but just know 2020 isn't keeping this production crew from filming. So keep an eye out. So all you listeners that are here because of my epic participation, thanks for being here. And thank you for all the support. And thank you to the Discovery Channel and Naked and Afraid. Because if not, I wouldn't be here podcasting, probably. I would be living a private, quiet lifestyle. Speaking of support, go over to the show's homepage on Anchor and check out the options to support the show. If not, no worries. Just keep listening and share the show with people who would enjoy it, you know, and it would help out a lot. So before we get into this week's uh, business or content, let's deal with this business first. Follow all of our socials, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Insta. I try to stay consistent and keep it interesting, but I'm still pretty green with social media. In fact, I kind of don't want to do it. It's an inconvenience, but it allows me to connect with all of you and I'll get to it when I get to it. So go over and like that and fringe with benefits at protonmail.com is how you can contact me, share stories or whatevs. So I want to hear from you fringe with benefits at protonmail.com. Remember to visit inwardsurvival.com, check out the blog and ways to donate. As I sit down at the table of accountability, I would like to thank everyone for supporting this little podcast and shoot me some mail and make some suggestions about what you want to hear me talk about. I don't have much to be down on myself this week, luckily, so let's move on from the accountability table. Stacy Socials is brought to you by Anchor. This week has been a downer, like usual. Um, I scoured my socials for something fun, and I chose to follow up on Elon Musk's Neuralink brain implant, since I mentioned it last week. I'm sure everybody is still weirded out by that, like I was. So I fully delved into this article by CNET.com. The article was written by Stephen Shankland and Jackson Ryan, and it's called Elon Musk Shows Neuralink Brain Implant Working in a Pig. So Neuralink has had a brain machine interface technology that sinks electrodes into the brain and then uses a chip to communicate with computers outside of the skull. Musk says, so get this, he says, it's like a Fitbit in your skull, end quote. (laughs) So the pig's name is Gertrude. Musk demoed it for a crowd to show off this uh, new technology. The FDA Uh, supposedly in July, granted approval for further testing, like rushed approval, like this is high-end elitist business. And that there is approximately 1,024 thin electrodes communicating with cells in the brain. It's attached with a Bluetooth to be able to wirelessly communicate with an outside computing device. 
Medical focus would be like the brain and spinal cord injuries or congenital defects, and that someday that paraplegics might be able to be helped with this technology, and that it could eventually fully restore movement for people someday. So that's amazing, right? It also um, has an application for conceptual telepathy, being to electrically communicate by just thinking at each other instead of actually having to use language or to type or to use any kind of other way, just basically having a thought and that person being able to receive that thought directly in their brain. And another application is artificial intelligence incarnations. Musk says it's going to be an it's going to be important from an existential threat perspective to achieve good AI symbosis. Well, yeah, um, Skynet maybe. So yeah, maybe we should get along with our AI, um, treat them properly. I'm not sure. It's kind of scary, right? So another thing you could back up and restore your memories, or even possibly download these memories or even consciousness into a new body. <laughs> so also supervision is another um, application of this someday, that maybe x-ray and ultraviolet capabilities will be available with this implant. So superhuman, transhumanism, you know, cyborgs, bionic people. And then there's um, this robot that actually installs the chip and it does a surgery. It opens your scalp, removes a piece of your skull, inserts hundreds of thread electrodes with the chip, and then it closes the incision. And it will be programmed to dodge blood vessels as well. So this is high tech stuff. There are health benefits. It can monitor your temperature, your blood pressure, your movement. And like we talked about last week, I mean, it's got the ability to completely do all kinds of preventive measurable things to you. Um, it charges wirelessly through the skin. And, you know, imagine having to charge your brain chip before going to bed. Like you just like, I don't know, turn on your wireless uh, charger and charge your chip as you sleep. Maybe that's how that's going to be. So uh, one scientific journal published in the Journal of Medical Internet Research says this Early research was done on rats, and there are concerns by not only consumers, but researchers such as infection, inflammation, other adjustment needs. So what do you think? Sounds great, but also it's a bit terrifying, right? You let me know what you think. This week's viral corner is inhabited by all kinds of crazy videos in which people are being beaten up and run over and and some actually some really, really sad stuff about um, children that are desperate and there's petitions going around in which people are, are desperate to get their kids back because they're in a dangerous situation. And there's one video in particular I'm kind of tossing around whether or not I'm going to throw it in, but I'm going to do this other one first. Um, and we may just go with that and maybe talk about that other thing another time. So there's a lot of dumb stuff on the interwebs. It's got to get my goose to be able to like want to even tell anybody about it. So this week, it's really hard to look for videos, by the way. But this week, I found a gem. And you know those videos where a positively hysterical woman is talking into the camera in their car? Not sad, upset, hysterical, but in the throes of a laughing fit because of something that had just happened. 
It's absolutely contagious. I love watching those videos and I start to laugh and I can almost feel the same emotions and feelings in my face that they're experiencing as they're cracking up telling the story. Anyhow, there's this woman and she's sitting in her car and she's laughing hysterically into her phone and she's a realtor and she said she was showing a house and mysteriously ended up feet up, stuff scattered everywhere and the dress is over her head. She says that her lady bits were out and that she's kind of a big girl and um, and obviously very clumsy. And it was really cute. And I suggest clicking on the link in the show notes if you want a fun chuckle. So I don't know about you. Have you ever fallen down in front of a bunch of people or like completely biffed it and your stuff went everywhere? I have. It's happened to me and I've hurt myself before too, but I could not imagine wearing a dress and it ending up over my head. Oh, wait a minute. I think that that did happen to me one time on Halloween where my dress, but it didn't end up over my head. It just came up because I had platforms on and I tripped. But no, the time that I can really remember was I was working a check station for um, fish and game uh, it was a salmon check station, so anybody who caught a fish had to bring it by so I could measure it and get genetics off of it and scales or whatever we needed at the time, check it for a tag. And I hopped out of the truck and like pivoted and tripped right over one of my own cones and face planted in front of these people. My hands had rocks in them. My knees were bleeding. It was horrible and it was extremely embarrassing, but pretty funny. Well, not really. I don't know. They didn't really laugh. But this lady was really cracking up at herself. So make sure you go check that out. So you got to give it to me with persistence because, man, I record these weekly topics. Takes me 20 minutes or so and then my internet craps out and I got to switch internet sources and then I lose everything that I just recorded. So we're going to run through this again. Yay for me. (laughs) Okay, so... This week's weekly topic is one of my most favorite topics ever, the Bigfoot Sasquatch thing. So I queried proof of Bigfoot and I read a ton of stuff. It's not like I haven't spent the last two or three years just totally delving into the Bigfoot topic. So I I do know a lot, but we're going to go with the basics in case you're not super familiar. So there's so much out there. And the witness testimony alone fills a database or two or three. There's tons of websites, tons of accounts, tons of YouTube videos, tons of articles. There's just so much. We used to have to start with the Patterson-Gimlin film. That was filmed or released in 1967. And it's the most famous picture or video of the Bigfoot with the, um, you know, the trademark walk, the stride. You know, everybody knows it. We also call it the Patty film. So there's tons of videos and photos, and this is kind of comparable to the UFO phenomenon. You know, it's everywhere. It's it's a hot button issue. It's a hot topic. It's culturally ingrained into our society. I watch a lot of YouTube videos of people that will break down, uh, you know, phenomenal videos of like Bigfoot or UFOs. And one of my favorites is Thinker Thunker. He does some impressive assessments on video evidence. He breaks them down to try to validate, you know, a proof, some kind of irrefutable proof. That's what we need, right? So I looked it up and I pulled some info and considering it's a big topic, it's a culture, it's a community, it's it's a big thing. So I'm kind of like going out on a limb talking about this, but I think this is going to be something we're going to be talking about lots of times because I may bring this topic up to talk about other researchers or other other. Um, 
you know, indisputable evidence that people are putting out there. I started with a, an article from the historychannel.com from January 22nd, 2020. It was updated and it's from 2019 in which Bigfoot was investigated by the FBI and they released a bunch of documents on that investigation and what they found. So that was 2009. They released a 40-year-old file on the Bigfoot inquiry. And it's due to the 1976 opening of the file in which director Peter Byrne of the Bigfoot Information Center and Exhibition in the Dalles, Oregon, sent the feds 15 hairs attached to a tiny piece of skin. Now, culturally already, Bigfoot was a big thing in the 70s. It was He was on TV, a uh, million-dollar man kind of got into a battle with Bigfoot, and it was soon after the Patterson-Gimlin film footage was released in 1967 in Northern California. <clears throat> so Jay Cochran Jr., he's the assistant director of the FBI, reluctantly tested the hair and reported back saying the hair was of deer origin. The methods he used, for all you science motherfuckers out there, is he used transmitted and incident light microscopy, morphological characteristics, which is basically the features and attributes of it, and compared it to other species. And we have to remember there was no DNA in the 1970s. It was all done through comparison microscopy. So any of you guys uh, forensic you know, junkies out there that like true crime know that we have proven that the, the hair analysis science is faulty and that anybody who was actually convicted using hair analysis and comparison should have their conviction overturned because it's, it's not a perfect science. It cannot prove, you know, without a doubt. So Turns out, you know, this is what their findings were. He sent them a re report and returned a sample. And the word is, is that the reply wasn't actually returned to the original researcher. He was surprised to even learn of these findings like decades later. This article was definitely from the school of subject. Bigfoot Sasquatch is a joke. But considering I'm learning to see past bias in journalism, I took what I needed for the historical perspective. Historical perspective is really important, especially when you're looking at um, subjects in which there's going to be some kind of social bias and people are going to want to persuade others, uh, the, the reader especially, to see it from their point of view, which there's nothing wrong with this. Pers you know, uh, persuasive writing is some of it's, you know, the best, but it's also very dangerous and we have to be smart enough and uh, able to point that out and to identify that when we see it. So the next article I came upon was from my favorite magazine, actually, OutsideOnline.com, one of my fave zines ever. So Lauren Kent gives us the 10 most convincing Bigfoot sightings. And these are photos and videos, and it's really great. So just list them. We, you know, we got the Patty film, um, Patterson-Gimlin film. And we've got the Mills Family Ridgeline shot from the Marble Mountain Wilderness. That's seven minutes of footage of this really extremely large um, thing walking along the ridgeline. Like literally it's got to be like eight to ten foot tall, judging by the distance and how big this thing is in the footage. We've got British explorer Eric Earl Shipton, a photo from when he was um, in the Himalayas from 1951. There is a three-toed print. And for scale, there's a pickaxe next to it. 
It's pretty interesting. You got to check that out. And it is known that there are Sasquatch species out there that do leave three-toed, more of a lobed print than more of a human five-toed print. We have the Independence Day film with a mama and her little cub in which she's trying to get away and she picks up what looks to be a smaller baby Sasquatch, which is awesome. October 2012 Provo Canyon video. There's kids filming a bear and it stands up. And so they take off and they run. That one's intense. 2007 Hunter Rick Jacobs gets a game cam, gets a game cam, sets it up and gets some footage of what looks like it looks like a chimp. People say it looks like a bear with mange and that's how they're, you know, trying to debunk it. But I don't know. It looks more morphologically uh, like a chimp. Um, it's in Pennsylvania, Allegheny National Forest, if you want to look it up. There's a print photo from 1980, um, Johnstown, Pennsylvania. It's a footprint measuring at 17 inches, 17.75 inches, which is huge. It must be really, really good if um, they're including it in here, which of course, yeah, I saw it, but right now I'm, I'm looking at my notes. So there's also 1994 U.S. Forest Service patrolman claims he saw a family of Bigfoots, Big Feet. I don't know what the plural is for a gaggle of them. Um, these were in Washington Blue Mountains. So there is a video attached to that. I will link all these articles, like I said. Um, there's also a Mississippi resident who filmed a Sasquatch ripping bark from a tree in a swamp. His name's Josh Highcliffe. You can check that out. Um, there's also, the last one is a hiker in Provo Canyon in Utah, films one just walking kind of down like a little hill and he like tosses a rock. You can hear the trembling breath of the hiker and it's really convincing. I mean, you'd have to be a really great actor to be able to pull that off. Idaho State Journal writes um, by Sean Harrison, hiker believes he found evidence of Bigfoot and it was the original uh, publisher is the Herald Journal from July two, 23rd, 2020, so recently. And Matthew Wentz, 34, from Logan, Utah, is a believing skeptic, he calls himself. He found a print near Mount Elder, north of Green Canyon, right? So he finds this print. And he... He, he's a believer in Sasquatch, but he knows that it's not socially acceptable to talk about it. And so you kind of hear his perspective in like, he knows that he shouldn't believe in it, but he kind of believes in it. And he knows that he's got something really anomalous and odd and he's got proof. He's got a print. And, um, you know, he really talks about how he just doesn't go out there at dark anymore. He's always feels like something's watching him. There's something up. And that's what, you know, that article is pretty much about. Then we hop over to one of my favorites, not SmithsonianMagazine.com, which I used to be a subscriber to Smithsonian and I do really love their stuff, but I think that they're keeping some stuff from us. They, in my eyes, they have a horrible track record, but I got to give them credit for what they are. So there you go. Hurrah for them. This article was called, Why Do So Many People Still Believe in Bigfoot? The appeal of the mythical wild man holds strong. Ben Creer writes September 2018 that briefly he's describing a few recent sightings referring to paleontologist Darren Nash saying it's a popular belief without compelling evidence. So 
he goes through these sightings and he's talking to this paleontologist that's, you know, emphasizing on there's no compelling evidence. Why is there a no evidence? And Nash writes that it's a manifestation of a human-wide cultural concept, not a zoological reality. So we know where he's at on this subject. The article emphasizes it's uh, basically a romanticized ideal born from like the desire from for new fresh discovery because we you know we think that we know everything and we think that we've discovered everything when it's been proven that we're discovering new things all the time and we do not know everything obviously but he wants to put it out there that it's just you know a human a manifestation from human consciousness um we have a problem with hoaxes and fakes um, and it really, it dampers the, the new serious re research. And if somebody's out there faking something, then they really need to be called out on it because it's, it's discrediting to everybody else. You know, there's actual serious people out there that need true help. And so that's just, it's, it's not, it's not okay. So, you know, they go through the hoaxes and the fakes I totally neglect to mention Gigantopithecus. If you look up that species, it's a, a relic hominid, which resembles Bigfoot. Let's move on to NBC News article released um, about the feds releasing the documents like we already talked about. So these are all current, you know, current reports on the whole Bigfoot thing. This gives specifics of the correspondence between Byrne and his group with the FBI and gives detailed Specifics of his fraud charges and his um, admission of guilt. I guess he pled guilty to some fraud charges. And I'm not going to get into that because he basically just gets smutted up in this article. You can read that yourself. And it's unfortunate. And that's pretty much the end of that article. So, I mean, is that good reporting? Maybe. Maybe not. I don't know. I, I could have went without knowing that. But that's all right because everybody makes mistakes, right? <laughs> so let's move on to somebody a little bit more reputable than NBC. Popular Mechanics. Um, it's called, it's something like Search for Bigfoot and it's by Matt Blitz. It's in the show notes. He talks about Gimlin and Patterson and I would like to side note that there's even more drama and more interesting backstory about the Gimlin Patterson stuff. So if you go out there and you put the pieces together and you hear what people are talking about, it's way more intense than this, you know, just the basics here. In this article, they explore the various Bigfoot-like monsters because we've got all kinds of different names for them. And down south, they call them the Wood Booger, the Yowie down under, Skunk Ape. I guess there's a Yayali. I didn't, I've never heard that one. And a Yeti, of course, the Abominable Snowman. And it also discusses how many native cultures have stories about them. Example, the Kwakutl tribe, once heavily populated British Columbia, had a hairy female beast named uh, Zunukwa. I think I got that right. I'm sorry if I mispronounced anything. And Sasquatch comes from a language spoken by the First Nations people called Hal... Hal oh, gosh. Halkumulum. Halkumulum? Man, I'm bad. There are various opinions about these people. And I'm going to call them people because if they are hominid and, and human, then they're they're probably a people, and we should be, give them some rights, I would say. Um, but you know, the tribes have differing opinions on whether or not they're dangerous or if they're friendlies. So don't really know. 
So supposedly in 1924, this article talks about there was a group of prospectors staying in a cabin, Mount St. Helens, Washington State, and they were attacked by eight men. And it was this um, night-long siege in which they were under in this cabin in the middle of the woods in which, I don't know if one of them pissed off the Sasquatch and then he came back with his buddies, but something happened. And there's a really great story. You'll have to look it up. Otherwise, maybe I'll talk about it sometime because I don't know all the details and I would like to. So the article goes on to talk about this professor of physical anthropology at Washington State University and a leading authority on hominid evolution, primate bone structures and primate bone structures. His name's Grover Krantz and he's a believer. So he's he's passed away we'll talk about that but he had he had reasoning for believing he he considered all the eyewitness accounts the gate of the female sasquatch in the patterson and gimlin film how you know how legitimate it looked and the anatomic anatomical structure found in some prints um like dermal ridges and features that would be too complex to fake like cletus the slack-jawed yokel is going to have um a, a great knowledge of anatomy and physiology and that type of science and get this mold for this footprint absolutely perfect in which it's it's just very unlikely. The article also mentions Gigantopithecus and the theory for the Bering Strait land bridge, which makes me really respect the person that wrote this because they are considering that because there was something that existed at one time that we think. So unfortunately, he passed away in 2002, and he was highly respected, but he was also greatly mocked by his peers. And there were a couple other researchers in this article that talked about him and gave him support. And there's a lot of great researchers out there, but there's a lot of unethical trolls, too. So it's a pretty complex issue, the Sasquatch one. So I went on to read from the alumni Berkeley EDU, Chrissy Elliott writes an article, which is kind of cute. So why do people believe in Bigfoot anyway? I'm sure most of you guys are thinking the same thing. And she gives some reasons. Now let's see if they're valid. One, they think that they saw one. They want to prove they aren't crazy. Sounds like a legitimate reason. But from what I've experienced with people who have had real Bigfoot encounters is they sometimes don't want to tell people because they're afraid to be ridiculed or to be thought they were crazy. So I don't know. Number two, their tribe believes, and so they must believe. Well, that, that makes sense. I mean, the people that you are around and the people that you value in your life, you tend to believe the same things that they believe sometimes. So maybe. Number three, belief in them satisfies a hope that we could sustain in the wild if needed. This is a good one. Um, I can, It's kind of like the romanticizing of the concept because it's um, it gives us something. It gives us a, a, a form of hope and excitement. So it is, that's kind of funny. Um, so yeah, number four, lack of proof, but not lack, not lack of proof that they exist, lack of proof that they don't exist. And that's a good one. Lots of comments on that one. You guys should go check that out, but... Just to add, to, I mean, this this subject is so multifaceted that I could probably do a series of like 10 shows on just this. And there's so many different outlooks regarding this topic. But I, I know what I think, and I get laughed at by my peers and my coworkers. Happened pretty recently. What do you think? You know, I want to know what you think. 
Wes Germer from Sasquatch Chronicles always asks his guests, what do you think they are? Because nobody has the right answer. And so, you know, what do I think they're? Well, they have all these different capabilities, maybe. I mean, people say that these orbs are around often when they're around, that Sasquatch has been seen being pulled up into a UFO. I've heard stories like that, um, that they're telepathic. A lot of people have said that they do mind speak that they may be able to teleport and that they're multidimensional, that there's all these other things. And then there's some people that think that they're just animals and they actually get mad at people who actually think that they might be kind of magical or involved in the alien thing. I don't know. There's so many crazy ideas out there. I like to keep my mind open. So I, you know, shoot Sasquatch, a relic hominid that has capabilities that we haven't discovered yet, but that are natural. That would therefore make the paranormal more normal or what would you say the supernatural natural right because a new discovery would add to that knowledge base so let me know what you think send me an email about the bigfoot thing if you've seen one i know people who have seen them i want to know if you've seen them and we'll talk about this more later This week's mailbag, I have a really special treat for you guys. I had to find something on the Reddit on the Reddits to, um, because I'm not getting any mail. So send me some mail. Send me your scary stories, your freaky stories, your weird stories. I mean, any kind of heartfelt story, whatever you got. Shoot me some mail. Fringe with benefits at protonmail.com. This week, we are on the Reddit thread Paranormal User Blueberry Roulade. And the title is their feet were pointed backwards, and it is labeled as an encounter. It goes like this. Now, I know this may seem like utter bullshit, but let me get into it. What I'm about to tell you actually happened to someone I know. This is from about three or four years ago. It was late at night, and my husband was driving back home. The roads here are heavily wooded, and it gets pretty freaky at night, especially if there's not a lot of traffic. After driving for quite a while, he decided to make a pit stop. Upon stopping, a lady approached the car. My friend described her as an unbelievably beautiful lady. She asked if she could get a lift back home. My friend politely agreed, and they got in the car. After approximately five to six kilometers, my friend glanced at the lady's feet. They were pointing backwards. Now, the place where this story takes place has this folktale about women or people with feet pointing backwards, and there have been numerous sightings. When he noticed her feet, he began to panic. He immediately demanded that she get off because the car was feeling heavy and he was having trouble driving it. She hesitated initially and kept saying her home wasn't too far. She was also carrying a bag with her. When he finally managed to get her out of the car, my friend sped off. He kept driving and didn't look back. After what seemed like ages, he decided to make another pit stop because he was exhausted. After parking his car at the side of the road, he was approached by a man. Man says, hey, are you okay? You're as white as a ghost. And the friend says, yeah, I don't know. I just saw a lady. Her feet were pointing backwards. The man says, what makes you believe mine aren't? At this point, my friend lost it. He thought the man was joking, but when he looked down at his feet, they were indeed pointing backwards. Things get blurry here. My friend explained that there were several trucks parked near his car, and after his weird encounter with the man, he passed out. When he awoke, some people approached him to help. Their feet were okay and gave him water, etc. Then he noticed the lady left her bag behind and decided to look inside it. It was cow shit. Now I know this is as far as from believable, 
but a lot of people have reported similar incidences. If you want some backstory, look up the term Pichal Perry. It's P-I-C-H-A-L-P-E-H-R-I. I know this isn't my story, but it freaked me out so much I couldn't help but share it. My friends still can't get over any of it, and it continues to haunt them. So that's some scary shit, right? That's the end of it. Okay, so... You know, there's a lot of people that add to this, and I did look up Pakal Perry, and there is a lot of additional stuff. Maybe that'll be a topic later on. Um, so another um, Reddit person, it says deleted in brackets. Maybe that's their name. Says, this sounds similar to a Japanese entity known as Nopera Bo. Bo. Nopera Bo. They often have the first entity as a beautiful woman shows itself to the victims. Then once the victims have gotten away. The second one, usually a man, listens to their story, but then goes, but she did, she look like this, but did she have this feature? Plus, they often do this for shits and giggles, paranormal, practical jokes, though usually they don't feel like jokes to us. And so there's a lot of other people that are validating this. Another person, Desert Breeze, says a friend of mine took her husband to meet her family in Pakistan, and one day he decided to go take a walk alone. He came back looking white as a ghost and told her while walking, he first heard the ring of an anklet and turned around and the most beautiful naked woman was approaching him and she had a big smile on her face. He was startled at, and at one point looked at her feet and they were facing backwards. Then another person, why though, 4602 says, yeah, my family is from Pakistan and my father told me a story about his father. One day my grandfather was riding his bike and he found a goat near the road. So he put it on his back like a piggyback and started riding back home on his bike with this goat. And it was almost sunset and it was getting dark out. The goat then started to feel heavier and heavier. He dropped the goat, turned around and saw it was an old woman and she had backwards feet. She then started laughing at him as he pedaled away. We called them witches in our language, but I believe in America they are called skinwalkers. So what do you think about that? Skinwalkers are scary, right? Are the skinwalkers the people with the backwards feet? You let me know. I thought that that was a good one for this week's mailbag. Don't forget to send me your mail. So this week's guest spot, yes, we still don't have guests, and yes, I haven't figured out how to how to do that or to invite anybody. This is pretty much my gig for now, and if you want to hear somebody else, you're going to have to go listen to another podcast. <laughs> for now, I'm going to be giving a shout out to probably one of the favorite people I like, my favoritest people I like on YouTube is Steve Isdall. He runs uh, howtohunt.com. And we'll go through a little bit of his uh, bio here on his page. His page is howtohunt.com. And on the Black Hunter app, it says that he's been a professional big game hunting guide for over 20 years. He's ran 100% success rate on all of his guided hunts. And he arguably has harvested the most record book class blacktail bucks in the world, which 100% came from public land during regular open seasons. He's pretty awesome. But how I got to know him was through the Bigfoot community. He reads mail from his listeners and his watchers and his fans about their Bigfoot encounters. And this man himself has had his own encounters. I don't know any of his stories personally, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't say here, but he does talk about it. And he does communicate with his audience about the Bigfoot topic. So I suggest you go on over to his um, YouTube. I guess some of the stuff is... I, I don't know. It's his YouTube stuff's like mine. I mean, he's not real big on production. I think he's he's learning. He does a good job. 
sometimes it's hard to hear him. Some people might complain about that. But other than that, um, he has a lot of really great information and he's a no nonsense kind of guy. So go give him a like and subscribe to his channel and check him out. A lot of what he says is super controversial, especially in the Bigfoot world. There's a lot of people that don't like him. But me and my partner, we really like him and we we watch a lot of his videos. So go give him a like. Howtohunt.com. Steve is doll. So this week's School of Magic, brought to you by Inward Survival, is how not to care what others think of you. So we know that other people's opinions of us are not our business, right? And no matter what we do, not everyone is going to like us, right? So you, we all know that, right? Like beauty's in the eye of the beholder, ugly's in the eye of the beholder, right? So, but how do we stop ourselves from actually really giving a fuck what people think about us? Because we actually have to manage this. And it's a critical thing because if we're obsessing what other people are going to think, it's going to influence our behavior. And we don't really want that, do we? Like, I don't. But I'm still subject to it, just like everybody else is. And this is a really big issue for a lot of people. People give a shit what other people think. And even if I tell them not to, they're still going to. But there are certain things that you can do and steps you can take to remind yourself that it really doesn't matter what anybody thinks as long as you're good in your eyes. You know what I mean? So one thing you'd want to do is you'd want to know your values. What are your core values? Write them down. Figure out what you value in life. What are the things that are, um, you know, there, there's no argument on. What are the deal breakers for you? What drives you? So do you value courage? Because I do. Well, then act like it, right? So I have to remind myself if I'm afraid to do something because what somebody might think of me, if I value courage and I'm not exercising courage, I, I really don't, I don't have a leg to stand on. So really go through your core values and figure out what, what pushes you to be who you are and what makes you, um, you know, valuable to your community. Next would be mind your own business, you know, especially like what other people think that's not your business. It's their business. What your business is, is what you think your personal judgments, your behaviors, your feelings, right? Next, we're going to get to like deal with your feelings. Our feelings are our feelings. They're our business. They're not really anybody else's business. Other people can't control how we feel. They may do things that may make us feel a certain way, but our maintaining those feelings, that's all on us, right? So no one has control over how we feel except for us. Next would be like, everyone makes mistakes. We all make mistakes. We all have to own up to those things and we have to apologize for those things. And you realize that, you know, when other people make mistakes, how would you want to be treated if you were the person that was making those mistakes, you know? So don't be so hard on yourself. Stop beating yourself up. Even if you think other people are going to beat yourself. You know, I mean, like we, we totally think that we are much harder on ourselves than other people are going to be. So don't beat yourself up and do your best and know your worth. Always do your best. Like that's one of the things that when I do my daily inventory, when I go to bed at night, did I do my best? Did I act the way that I feel is the best version of myself? So that brings us to our stoic thought of the day or the thought of the week, where I bring you guys 
quotes. So let's go to the quotes that I wanted to bring you. Um, it's good to, you know, we this really goes with not caring what other people think because you have to exert a, ty a type of stoicism um, to, you know, to be able to be stoic about what other people's do and think like Einstein and Marilyn Monroe. So let's go to a couple things that they've been recorded as saying. And did you know that Marilyn's IQ exceeded Einstein's by several points? You should look that up. I just learned that recently. So she was smart, really smart. And we know how smart um, Albert Einstein was. So Albert Einstein said, quote, great spirits have always encountered violent opposition from mediocre minds. The mediocre mind is incapable of understanding the man who refuses to bow blindly to conventional prejudices and chooses instead to express his opinions courageously and honesty, honestly, end quote. Bomb, right? Great spirits have always encountered violent opposition from mediocre minds. Remember that sometime, next time somebody pops in on your thread and is like, you don't know what you're talking about, blah, 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 blah. So next we have Marilyn Monroe. She says, when it comes down to it, I let them think what they want. If they care enough to bother with what I do, then I'm already better than them. Boom. Mic drop. That's what I'm saying. So remember that. If somebody's concerning themselves with what you're doing, you must have something going on. And that's all I have to say. So you guys have a great week. Thanks for being here with me through our trials and tribulations, and I'll see you again next week.